Welcome to our On Point special podcast series. This is episode two of our new weekly conversations with Jack Beatty, On Point News Analyst, where Jack brings us his truly unique analysis of America in our current political moment. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty, and hello there, Jack. Hello, Meghna. Okay, so what's the single most emblematic word you can think of that encapsulates what today's conversation is all about? Sacrifice. Ha, sacrifice. Okay, now you got me interested, Jack. So what do you mean by sacrifice? Well, I managed to control my empathy for Donald Trump, but not so his supporters, especially after reading a Twitter uh, item, a tweet, by Molly Hemingway. She's the conservative pundit, editor-in-chief of The Federalist. And and in this uh, tweet, she brings out, lights up, uh, what Trump voters have had to give up for him. She writes, supporting Trump meant costs never associated with supporting Bush or Romney. Trump supporters lost friendships. Brothers and sisters stopped talking to each other. There are parents whose children disown them and grandparents who will never see their grandchildren again because they stood by Donald Trump. She concludes, every Republican has these stories. Indeed, if you Google, I lost friends because of Trump, you will get uh, 110 million entries. Mm. Uh, our friend uh, Sarah Longwell, who does focus groups around the country, she's also one of the, she's the publisher of The Bulwark. She, uh, she tells me that she hears this again and again from uh, not only from Republicans, but on the other side from Democrats, from Democrats who said, I've had a long, lifelong friendship. I ended it because my friend went for Trump. And she said, this is just part of the Republican uh, uh, commitment to Trump that they <laughs> they have given up so much for him. Yeah. OK, so let's this is really, really interesting. And I think it's inadequately understood uh, in, you know, in politics and in the media, because I, you sent me the, the Hemingway tweet uh, in full and I've got it here. And after she says every Republican has these stories Every Republican knows Republicans who have had these stories. Then she says, attacking Trump is effectively telling the people who made real sacrifices that they were stupid. Now, um, I don't mean to, I'm not making light of this at all, but the analogy that comes to mind, Jack, is Mm -hmm. when, say, a a family member falls in love with somebody that the rest Mm -hmm. of the family uh, thinks is you know inappropriate um, or mm. or not good for the person, but once that you know the heart has been captured, the family the rest of the family might say, uh, you know your new partner is not good for you. He's um, you know he, he's going to take you in the wrong direction. We can't we can't have you over when he's with us. Well, what often happens, right? The that person just redoubles or double da- doubles down on their relationship, their new relationship, in defense of it. I mean, I feel like that's a, at least a little bit in terms of the um, emotional attachment that Hemingway is talking about, isn't it? Oh, I think there's no question about it. Uh, the uh, <clears throat> the you know, it's almost like the um, the uh, Macbeth uh, quote. He says, "I am in blood." Stepped in so far that should I wade no more, returning were as tedious as gore. 
you're in so far, you're going to stay in. And it's, and it's not just you're in, it is a sunk moral cost. You have paid, you have given up something, you have suffered. And that, rather than uh, repel you, it gives you a stake in, in the person you sacrifice to. In fact, students of religion point out that religions that require, and cults that require sacrifices of uh, members uh, grow stronger than those that don't because the sacrifice gives the, gives the uh, communicant person a, a sort of vested moral stake in 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 the uh, in the religion, or in this case, in the charismatic leader. Yeah, I gave up something in order to to believe in this charismatic leader. So my belief has to be even more valuable, right? It's not a zero sum game. I completely see that. Well, you know, Jack, um, you've pointed out in the past that Trump himself even uh, has talked about, in his very Donald Trump way, um, you know, losing friends when he became. President. So we went back to a September 2020 rally Trump had in Wisconsin. Um, and here's a little bit of the sort of insight that he offered his supporters on what it's like to be in the White House. No, but I know a lot of very successful people, very, very successful. And now they call me up, Mr. President, sir, uh, would you like to get together sometime? I say, loosen up. Yes. Call me Donald. You don't, you've known me for 30 years. Call me Donald. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you, Mr. President. I appreciate it. No, I lost all my friends because it's respect for the office. Let's face it. It's different. They used to be loose. They used to be great. You could sit back. I'm not a drinker, but you could sit back and have a drink, whatever the hell you're drinking. And now you can't do that anymore. You can't do it anymore. So I have to rely on people in Congress to be my friends. I'll have to admit, Jack, it's a little hard for me to tell if, if Trump is being um, sincere there uh, <laughs> or if he's kind of using it yet as another moment to, I don't, I don't know, ridicule people who don't support him. But um, it, it seemed like a more uh, revealing moment than we've had from him. Indeed. And, you know, uh, just parenthetically, as a coda to that, he, he says, I look for friends in Congress. Harry Truman <laughs> had the best advice. If you're looking for friends in Washington, get a dog. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it just isn't going to work, Mr. President. Everything is transactional. Yes, uh, he, he, I think there is a little a plea there for self-pity. He's saying to, to, to his, he channels this stuff. He's saying to people who've given up so much for him, I've given up things too. Uh, I've given up friends too. So we're all in the same boat. You can identify with me as I identify with you. Mm. Okay, that is so, so interesting. Now, um, I had been looking for um, some audio representation of what you're talking about, Jack, of, of, of grassroots Trump supporters talking about what they had sacrificed or lost um, in their zeal for Donald Trump. And I didn't come up with anything, but I did manage to find... Um, just recently, something that's a close proxima, uh, approximation of that. And it's an interview that was given as the Trump administration was winding down, and it was given by a man named Chris Liddell. 
And I think a lot of folks may not have heard of him. He's a former businessman and entrepreneur. He used to be CFO at General Motors. Uh, He's also from New Zealand originally and knows Donald Trump quite well. So well that, in fact, in the Trump administration, Liddell served as Trump's deputy White House chief of staff. Uh, Really, really interesting. So... Again, as the administration was winding down, Liddell gave this interview uh, to his fellow New Zealanders on TVNZ, and it was a long one. But in the middle of it, the reporter embedded this question. Has it cost you, personally, to work for Donald Trump? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Certainly, uh, financially it has, but that's not your question. Uh, Yeah. But the way I describe it, look, I've lost friends from being here. I haven't lost my soul. People no longer communicate with you because you work for the police? Yeah, there's a mixture of people. Some people to my face don't want to talk to me. Some people just don't talk to me because, but it's, I, I never know. But yeah, sure. How does that affect you? Well, I, the same way it affects any human being. It doesn't make me feel very good. Now, Chris Liddell is quite a powerful person, very wealthy, so he wasn't at all sorry that he lost these friends, he's, no. he, he said. Uh, didn't necessarily hurt him. But even someone who worked in the White House being willing to say, well, you know, it doesn't feel very good. Um, I think, is there something about the truth of this human emotion that uh, Democrats perhaps aren't taking seriously enough when it comes to how Trump's supporters feel about their sacrifice? Oh, I think that's definitely the case. And especially when Democrats confront uh, Trump supporters and say, you know, how could you be so stupid? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're missing the point. You know, I was just reading the new Martin Luther King biography and in Montgomery when they were doing the bus boycott and, and people were suffering. You know, they, they couldn't take the bus to work. They were harassed at waiting for carpool people to pick them up. They lost money in jobs. They really had to give up to make that 300-day, plus 300-plus-day boycott work. Uh, and King, in one of his uh, one of his sermons to his people, said, uh, "You know, the fact that you're suffering shows you're righteous, mm-hmm. righteous people. In other words, it isn't just so. It's a negative. You give give something out, but it's also a positive. You feel exalted." Uh, somewhat. You are righteous. You are right. And how do you know? You've suffered. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, it suddenly occurred to me, Jack, that uh, you know, Trump, whether he knows it or not, uh, he has a very powerful way of connecting to this sense of sacrifice that his most ardent supporters have, because I am racking my brain and I can't think of another politician that speaks to his or her supporters the way Trump does, specifically in the sense that Trump oftentimes says directly to people at rallies and did so on January 6th as well, we love you. He says Mm. this word love all the time. I love you. We love you. We know how you feel. I know how you feel. But, um, you know, reinforcing that sense of righteousness with the... um, the message from the charismatic leader, as you said, that that charismatic leader loves you for your righteousness makes it even more powerful and potentially kind of an unbreakable bond between supporters and Trump. 
Well, you would think so. I mean, sure. Uh, it's like the God figure saying, you know, you're saved. <laughs> and, and using that word love, I mean, you know, it's strange. After his first um, uh, indictment in, in the spring, there were uh, uh, social media was a, a rife with uh, comparisons of Trump and Jesus. I mean, uh -huh. however improbable. But that gets at what you're talking about. It's not just that he... He appreciates this. He loves you for being devoted to him. That's a payback. That's an emotional uh, gift back. Yeah. Yeah. And Jack, I think you've said um, in some of our editorial meetings, you've pointed out that there's polling evidence that shows that, again, Trump's most avid supporters say they would believe him more than even the most trusted people in their own lives. Yes, 70% in a CBS poll of about two weeks ago. Uh, one doesn't know what to make of that. It gives much credence to the idea that Trumpism is a, 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 a cult of personality, that, that as, with, as with all cults, apparently, um, uh, valuing the, the, the person as the font of truth and light that's the essence of the, of the cult, as is sacrifice. If you go back and look at this, you know, cults aim deliberately to split you off from your family and friends, just like Trumpism. It's not being done deliberately, but it's happening. So that in, the, in, in cults, some of the, in, in miniature, some of the same uh, emotional transactions and losses and gains are enacted that we see in the big in the big frame with Trump. Yeah, completely. Uh, and then uh, add to that the self-isolating nature of modern media, whether it's, you know, you watch one particular news source or you're only getting the kind of uh, content that you would, quote unquote, you know, engage with on social media. It's a it's a system that sort of continues to amplify itself. Now, Jack, I'm going back my last question for you, because this is so interesting, but I'm going back to that original tweet that Molly Hemingway from The Federalist put out just to reiterate something where she said, as you noted, Keep in mind that supporting Trump came with costs never associated with supporting Bush or Romney, that, that sacrifice, because you could be, you know, a fan of George W. Bush and not everyone would abandon you immediately, essentially, sure. is, is what she's saying. Okay, now, there's a certain aspect of American politics that's always relied on charisma. It's always relied on emotion, regardless of what party you're in, right? Like, mm -hmm. Democrats mm -hmm. who voted for Obama, a lot of them just flat out loved him. But they didn't necessarily lose any friends. So with this new way of thinking about the passion of a, a Trump supporter, I mean, why does it matter that we recognize this going into the next election, Jack? Well, uh, because it, 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 it points to the tenacity uh, of, the, of, of core Trump supporters. I mean, it's very, it's even, it, you know... If he's in jail, it looks like they'll still go for him. That there's nothing he at this point. What fact about him could be disqualifying for these people? It's not about that for them. It's about their identity. It's about what they have suffered, mm. <laughs> and they're not about to to say, "Oh, I was wrong. My, I'm converted on the road to." No, it's not going to happen. Uh, looking at the longer term, you know, you look at his at his voters. Half of his voters in 2020 were over 65. Mm -hmm. 
Well, you know, I, uh, forgive me for citing the mordant wisdom of the Yiddish saying, but it's worth quoting, where there's mortality, there's hope. Uh, I'm not wishing anybody dead, but I'm saying Trump's perhaps this, uh, uh, you know, devotion to their leader, perhaps this won't be passed on uh, to the next generation. Mm, okay. This has been so fascinating, Jack. Um, before we wrap up, I just want to uh, ask our listeners to participate in this a little bit, because if there's if there's folks listening to this podcast who, um, A, were at one time a very, very ardent Trump supporter and maybe now are not, I'd love to hear about w- what triggered that change in you, or B, to get the broader... Uh, analogy that you've brought up, Jack, here about sort of um, almost fundamentalist religion. Um, if there are folks listening who uh, once belonged very passionately to quite a rigid uh, religion or or church uh, and have subsequently left the church, I also want to know what triggered that and how did that happen? Uh, and also how did it impact you really emotionally uh, and personally? So to do that, pick up your phone and uh, you can get a new app. It's called the On Point Vox Pop app. And uh, if you don't already have it, just look for On Point Vox Pop. And go ahead and leave us a, a message with your stories about leaving leaving a group that you were extremely passionate about and totally devoted to and why you left and um, what impact that had on you. So cause I'd love to hear from other people on this. Well, Jack... This was utterly fascinating. I'm so grateful that you're doing this uh, with us for every single week for the foreseeable future. Will you give us a little bit of a hint about what we're going to hear from you next week? Sure. Uh, Polling and focus groups have shown an erosion of support for Biden and Democrats generally among Hispanic and African-American voters. One reason They tend to associate Democrats more with cultural issues than with Mm. economics. Ah, so I'm going to guess that you're going to help us understand why, what might be driving that and the implications of it. So really looking forward to that next week. This is Jack Beatty. He's our On Point News Analyst, uh, joining us every week now with this special Jack-only podcast. Jack, thank you very much. Thank you so much, Meg. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. This is On Point.